welcome to Witch Witch is Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Regina. And I'm Derek. And today we're talking about, like we mentioned last time, magical girls. The sort of sub-genre of pop culture that refers to this trope of the girl who does a transformation sequence and then they're a whole new thing and they fight evil or whatever they want to do. There's usually rainbows involved and that will become apparent as we get to our first witch of the day. Regina, tell me about... The witch that you're going to talk about. Who's your magical girl? I'm going to talk about the best 90s magical girl I could possibly think of, Sailor Moon. If you also had the joy of growing up in the 90s and watching the English dub on TV like I did, you're probably pretty stoked to revisit this classic with me. I'm going to break down the witchy bona fides of my favorite Sailor Scout and main character of the series, Usagi Toskino, aka Sailor Moon, aka Queen Serenity, and probably aka some other stuff that I'm forgetting. Usagi is an average girl who hates to study and loves to eat and play video games. She's charming, cute, and when she befriends a talking cat named Luna, her powers are awakened and she can transform into the Sailor Scout Sailor Moon. She assembles a badass team of other Sailor Scouts and they fight the evil Dark Kingdom to protect the Earth and save the Moon Kingdom from destruction. I'm going to cover as much as I can in our segment, but Sailor Moon is so rich and layered, it'd take several episodes to explore every facet of the rules of witchiness and how that relates to Usagi and the other Sailor Scouts and the series as a whole. Yeah, and uh, listeners at home, if you want a little more information about Sailor Moon, feel free to go back in your podcatcher to episode 12, where we talked about Queen Beryl, who was the main antagonist of the first run of Sailor Moon. Mm -hmm. But yes, as we have discussed probably several times in the past, both you and I, Regina, grew up on Sailor Moon. Yeah. It was the very first anime. It was the first time I was aware that I was watching anime, because I saw Voltron before that, but that was just, like, to, to me, a weird cartoon. It was Sailor Moon where I was like, this is different. Mm-hmm. This is not the stuff I'm normally accustomed to. And because it played in a weird hour in syndication, I had to like wake up two extra hours early to watch these beautiful watercolor landscapes with these fantastic like teenage girls fighting crime in the name of love. One of my favorite Twitter accounts is just like reposting the watercolor backgrounds from Sailor Moon. It's so beautiful. That's awesome. There's so much good stuff about Sailor Moon. I'm so glad that we're talking about it. So let's dive right in. The first rule of witchiness is that the lady in question uh, identify as female. So tell me, does Usagi identify as female? Yeah, Usagi does identify as female. There's some interesting things in general about the whole genre of the magical girl and how the extra forward-facing femininity is part of the series trope and how the fight often comes with this hyper-female-coded aesthetic. But I'm going to take this opportunity to explore some of the interesting gender identity politics at work in this series because it's pretty progressive. At least the original Japanese version was. The American dub watered down the gay relationships, gender-fluid scouts, and sexual tension completely out of the series. So Haruka Tenno, or Sailor Uranus, became a fan favorite character because of her gender fluidity. In Sailor Moon Crystal, one of the more recent series, she's explained to be both male and female, but transforms into a girl to be a Sailor Scout, as that's the gender expression of a Sailor Scout. This underlies our rule of magic that witches need to identify as female. 
So, yay us. I love Haruka and her relationship with Sailor Neptune, her girlfriend. In the American version, they're cousins or something because God forbid 90s kids saw girls who love each other on TV cartoons. Yeah, and that wasn't weird watching two cousins just like hold hands all the time outside school. I was like, I don't care about my cousins that much. No. And then I found some like home dubbed VHS tapes and I was like, oh no, this is totally different. No. They smooch each other. It was the first time I distinctly remember watching a show and it being all about the the power of being a lady. Yeah. And the other interesting thing, too, is the relationship specifically between Usagi, between Sailor Moon and Haruka, Sailor Uranus, is, is really fun because Sailor Moon is totally smitten by Sailor Uranus. Mm-hmm. Like, when she sees Haruka at first, she's like, wow, that's a really hot dude. And then later she's like, wow, that's a really hot lady. And there's this kind of flirtation that Haruka has with Sailor Moon throughout the course of the series that is definitely reciprocated and... It makes for some interesting conclusions you could pull about Sailor Moon's sexual identity. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. really interesting things that happen. There's a lot of good stuff there. But uh, let's move on to the second rule of witchiness, which is that Usagi practices magic. Can you tell me about the magic that Usagi does? Well, she certainly does practice magic. She uses a magical implement, something we haven't talked about as often with our witches, her compact and her legendary silver crystal. She also occasionally uses a transformation pen. She uses it to transform into her Sailor Scout form, Sailor Moon. While she's in this form, she has strengths and abilities she uses to fight evil. One of my favorite of her abilities is her first use of power, essentially a sonic anxiety cry. There are a number of spells she uses. I won't mention them all here because the point is she practices magic and puts her ugly cries to way better use than I do. She's in it over her head, mm-hmm. but her panic is actually a source of power. Teach me, senpai. And one thing that I loved watching it as a kid was how like every season they would introduce like, here's her new spell for the season. Mm-hmm. Where like, now I will use my my wand and I will draw a crescent moon around me and I will scream silver moon prism whatever this year. Mm-hmm. We've definitely touched on how feminine the show is. Let's talk about Usagi as a character. Third rule of witchiness, is Usagi a feminist? There are a lot of conflicting feminist takes on Sailor Moon. Some say it's not feminist and it's pretty gender essentialist with the short skirt panty shop fan service leading away from empowerment and towards male gaze. My take is that it is feminist and that has a lot to do with the way I read Usagi's character and her arc. She is hyper-feminine in a way that's usually considered antithetical to feminism. Her powers transform her into a pretty guardian who uses female-coded powers and attacks to defeat villains. Sure, at the beginning, she's in over her head and relies on help from this sort of jerk tuxedo mask, but the arc gets good when she learns to trust in her powers and her girlfriends and often ends up saving said sort of jerk. The 90s series in particular shows Usagi falling for and then fighting against a lot of consumer-based female beauty standards. For example, there's a hard-to-watch episode early on in the 90s series where Usagi feels pressured to join a weight loss group when all she wants to do is eat what makes her feel good. I hear you, sister. Turns out it's controlled by henchmen of Queen Beryl and ladies. Remember when people are trying to sell you something, they might not have your best interest in mind. Usagi and Sailor Moon the series is feminist. 
full stop. I have rewatched the 90s series several times, and every time it gets to that weight loss episode, which is very early, <laughs> it's like the third or fourth episode. It's like, yeah, it's like the third or fourth episode. Every time I'm like, this is uncomfortable, and I just want to just want to get to the next watch. one. Because it's so mean. It is. Even, like, to this day, playing it on somebody's body image like that, not cool. One of my favorite memes of the past year or two, I'm sure you've seen a lot of this, is the three-panel triptych. Uh, the first panel is Tuxedo Mask saying, my work here is done. And the second panel is Sailor Moon saying, but you didn't do anything. Third panel is Tuxedo Mask just like waving his cape and flying away. <laughs> and people will like take whatever the topic du jour is and paste it over the faces of Tuxedo Mask and Usagi to say like, awesome. somebody's taking credit for this thing even though they didn't do it. That's awesome. It's a, such a fun meme. I love that we can bring these things back 20, 30 years later. And wow, 20, 30 years All the more. Later. Something like that. I don't want to actually put a date on it because it'll make me sad. Speaking of sad, can you tell <laughs> me how Usagi is persecuted or misunderstood, as in the fourth law of witchiness? Usagi is definitely misunderstood by Queen Beryl in the Dark Kingdom. Queen Beryl doesn't seem to think Usagi is capable of defeating her and bringing back the Moon Kingdom, and boy is she wrong. As far as persecuted, not exactly. She does at first misunderstand herself and her place in the cosmos as the reincarnation of Queen Serenity, but other than that, not so much. Especially the first season, but pretty much the whole arc of the TV show as I remember it was about her like rediscovering herself and coming to terms with her responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a really good coming of age story of showing how like even you, the ditzy nobody, could rise to power and become a respectable figure that all of your peers will look up to. Mm -hmm. And also run down the street with a piece of toast in your mouth because you're late for school and you're hungry. Also true. Uh, for the fifth and final rule of witchiness, can you tell me whether Usagi is bonded to a sentience larger than herself? I would say yes. Bonded to the legendary silver crystal, which gives Sailor Moon her power. She's also bonded in some ways to her future self, Queen Serenity, who guides her through some challenging fights. There's so much fun to be had. I do love the personalities of all the different Sailor Scouts, and how Usagi is there to just like tie them all together and be the bonding factor to it. Yeah, she's a great leader, even if she doesn't start out that way. She's a good friend, good friend person. And that's the other thing that's so fun about Sailor Moon, is that you've got this group of girls that's working together. They're not in competition with each other. They're not trying to pull each other down. They're all working towards the same goal. And there's not a ton of that in pop culture in a positive way. Yeah, there are few. And the ones that there are are wonderful, and I love them. Like Lumberjanes, mm -hmm. or a place further than the universe. You can probably count them on two hands, but they're so wonderful when they happen. I love Sailor Moon. I'm glad we're talking about. Oh, yeah, I haven't touched actually on your favorite Sailor Scout yet. Okay, do you do you want to out me for my favorite Sailor Scout? I I think I can I can let you take the reins on that one. Tell me who your favorite Sailor Scout is. Well, I know because we had this conversation with your daughter a couple weeks ago. Because oh, we did. Yeah, your daughter's been watching Sailor Moon lately. She and has tried to get her to guess who my favorite is because I've always been a fan of Sailor Mercury. Sailor yes. Mercury is my jam. She's the first other Scout that she meets, and so she's sort of her confidant. She's sort of her like most trusted advisor, and Mercury is very much the brains of the operation. She's the analytical one, she's a bit shy, which those were things that I definitely empathized with as a kid watching the cartoon. I was like, oh, Mercury is just like me, but she has blue hair and is a girl. Yeah. And she's got water powers, which are vastly underrated, but very powerful. She's constantly, like, freezing the bad guys with her Mercury bubbles. Mm -hmm. The Sailor Scouts beyond Sailor Moon have a much more reliable power set of, like, one of them is water, one of them is fire, one of them is lightning, etc., etc., and, and 
Usagi is sort of the mixed bag where it's like she has whatever power she needs for a given moment. She just has to realize how to use it. It's so inadvertently deep. It means something. I just can't think of it right now. Yeah. But it does mean something. Instead of thinking about what that means, instead of thinking more deeply about that, why don't you tell me about your magical girl? Yes. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about Amethyst. And I know what some of you are thinking. Derek, you already talked about Steven Universe. Don't do another crystal gem. No, not talking about that Amethyst. I'm talking about Amethyst from DC Comics. Amethyst Princess of Gem World. So there's there's like three different continuities for Amethyst. So I'm going to sort of jump between them because they all have pros and cons and it's hard to tell what counts anymore. But basically on her 13th birthday, Amy Winston is whisked away from her home in Hudson, New York to the wondrous fantasy land of Gem World, where she learns that she is a princess with magical powers. She leads a rebellion against the tyrannical Dark Opal and frees Gem World from the Lords of Chaos before returning returning home to her ordinary junior high life. She reappeared in the DC comic that bore her name in 1983, and again in the 2012 reboot, as well as a series of animated shorts in 2013 that recast her as something of a Sailor Moon type of character who fell into a video game, which is where I in turn fell for her. Oh, I can just see the rainbow sparkles coming out and dancing all around you right now. Yep. It really is a shame we don't do this as a video podcast because a lot happens. The production values would be too That's, high. You're absolutely right. So many sparkles and rainbows. So many sparkles and rainbows. I had never heard of Amethyst Princess of Gem World, but I'm excited to learn more about her. So why don't we go into the rules of witchiness? The first, that the witch in question identify as female. Does Amy identify as female? So, yes, in the original comic, Amy is a 13-year-old girl at the start of the run, and when she travels to Gem World, she is transformed into a more adult woman in her 20s. In the 2012 reboot, uh, that book started on her 17th birthday, perhaps to soften the blow of such a young woman engaging in fantasy violence and eliminate any confusion about the age change, because that was kind of hard to follow at first. She's a teenage girl. Fantasy violence. Well, yeah, the the 1980s run of the comic was a lot more violent than I think people expected because it was a brightly colored comic set in very much your typical fantasy world. And it seemed like it was DC making a comic for girls, but it still got action. And yeah, that's absolutely true. But it was similar to, if you remember, She-Ra, Princess of Power. Yeah. She was the woman component of Masters of the Universe. And there was nothing that made her less action than He-Man. It was is just that this is He-Man if you want a female character. Amethyst was kind of that. It was, here's a fantasy adventure starring a female character. There's still blood, there's still violence, there's still horror going on. Even though it was bright and colorful and had a woman on the cover, it still dealt with some pretty severe stuff. Interesting. Let's move on to the second rule of witchiness, that the witch in question practice magic. Tell me about the magic Amethyst practices. Oh yeah, so Amethyst can basically do all the things a young girl imagining herself as a fantasy warrior can do. She can cast spells both through incantations and enchanted objects. She can transmute matter. She can conjure items out of thin air by extending her life energy. It's all pretty badass. As the daughter of Graciel from House Amethyst and Virion from House Turquoise, she has a unique power set that pulls from both pools of magical energy. So throughout Gem 
homeworld, there are houses of each of these magical stones, and whoever is the reigning power of that house draws from that magical energy for their own purposes. Hmm. The House of Amethyst is the only one that has several figureheads. So in the in the most recent version of the comic, Amy shares it with her mom and her sort of wicked aunt. The three of them each have a third of the Amethyst energy. Right. Plus she also, in the original comic in the 80s and in the cartoon, has a winged unicorn named Max, and that is pretty great too. In various incarnations of her publishing history, Amethyst has also fought alongside notable DC Comics magicians like Dr. Fate and John Constantine. That's also kind of a jerk. John Constantine is 100% a jerk, but he's a lovable jerk, and that's why there have been movies and TV mm-hmm. shows and mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. more about him. I mean, her magic sounds really cool. Also, I feel like I can't get away from people talking about gems and stones and infinity ones. Yes, those ones. And also you were just talking about Sailor Moon and like all the bad guys in that are named after gems as well. Exactly. And Sailor Moon has a legendary silver crystal. Mm -hmm. It's a very popular thing in fantasy overall is the power of Of shiny rocks. Shiny, shiny, shiny stones. We have to take a pause for a minute so that I can ask you, what do you think is more powerful? Infinity Gauntlet, Legendary Silver Crystal. I mean, I hate to say it, but Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, probably. Infinity Gauntlet is six legendary crystals that each have their own unique powers. Yeah, but the Legendary Silver Crystal, I feel like, is like all of those kinds of powers just like in one stop shopping. Um, I mean, now now we're just getting into like nerd fight territory. I'm just curious. I'm just saying the reality stone alone, like it could it could turn you into a pile of ribbons. It just alters reality. Yeah, you know what else? You know what else makes ribbons? You know what else makes ribbons? The legendary silver crystal makes ribbons, and then guess what? You've got a sweet outfit after that. True, there are a lot of ribbons in, in Sailor Moon, you're right. Okay. So So they so they both have the ribbons going on. Yes, that is the sound of ribbons. Time? Guess what? This, this is me from the past. This is me from the future. Now we're in the same place at the same time. Okay, so they both got ribbons and they both got time manipulation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It sounds like a fair fight to me. I think so. So, Usagi and Thanos. I'm calling, I'm calling it a draw. It's a draw. I would watch that Avengers movie. <laughs> That's the crossover twice. event I'm waiting for. I'm very into that crossover yes, event. Yes, please. <laughs> well, while we're waiting for that crossover event that will almost certainly never happen, let's talk about the third rule of witchiness. I don't know. Disney's buying up everything they can. They might as well buy it. You know what? A girl can dream. We need more female heroes in the Marvel Universe, so do it. You hear that, Disney? They're not doing enough with the ones they've got, so you might as well buy some new ones and see what happens. Let's talk about the third rule of witchiness, that the in question is a feminist is amy a feminist is there feminism in the series well there's an easy answer here that she's a warrior princess which is intrinsically a renowned and iconic role for feminists but a more specific example that i find just too delicious to ignore uh most of the warriors in gem world stick to fairly gendered roles where the men fight with melee weapons like swords and the women fight from a distance with ranged weapons like bows and arrows princess amethyst don't play that game though she is on the front lines hacking up fools with her sword like a boss like a boss so in a society where like that 
is part of the male-female difference, mm-hmm. she is absolutely breaking boundaries. You know what? Let's throw those gender stereotypes right out the window. We'll throw them out the window by hitting them with our sword. Yes, so so you're using the sword as a baseball bat to knock it out the window. Ladies play sports, too. Ladies absolutely play baseball. <laughs> Not this lady, though. Let's make, it, let's make it soccer, then. Make it a soccer reference, yeah, because the U.S. women's soccer team kills it every time. They have meddled in, like, every World Cup since they've had women's soccer in the World Cup. And they have, and they meddled in every Olympics up until the most recent one. I had no idea. The U.S. women's soccer team is badass. I had no idea about any of that. That's pretty fabulous. Get into it. Get into women's soccer. Best in the world. Did not know. I I, apparently, I have to now. I don't know what else to say about that. So let's just move on, then. So I'm gonna ask you about the fourth rule of witchiness how is Amethyst persecuted or misunderstood? Oh yes, Amethyst is definitely persecuted uh, in the original series by Dark Opal and the Lords of Chaos because they want to rule Gem World and see her as an obstacle since she is from the ruling family of the land despite having grown up on Earth. In the 2012 reboot, as I mentioned, uh, she is persecuted by her ruthless aunt, Mordiel, who wants sole control of the powers of House Amethyst. She's also a bit misunderstood by her own allies in that in the original series, they did not understand that she was only a 13-year-old girl because uh, there's a bit of a problem when Prince Topaz keeps flirting with her, not realizing he's like twice her age. Gross. Yeah. Also, at one point when the Earth was being attacked by aliens and the sky was turning red, a bunch of scared civilians started chasing Amethyst down the street calling her a witch because, yeah, that was literally helping anything in that situation. I feel like Earth has a very rich history of chasing people and yelling witch when there are actual problems that could be solved. I never liked the idea of the witch hunt. What's the, what's the deal? Why we gotta hunt all these witches? If you would just freaking stop, collaborate, and listen to the witches, maybe we would get something done. I have to also say that Lords of Chaos sounds like a band I want to belong to. Okay, well, good, because there's, there's more Lords of Chaos in the next answer. Okay, so fifth and final rule of witchiness is Amethyst bonded to a sentience larger than herself. Arguably, yeah. So in the original comic, Amethyst learned that her father was one of the Lords of Order, a member of a sort of fraternity of supernatural beings empowered by ageless gods in a never-ending war between order and chaos. Sounds boring. I mean, (laughs) to a degree. Ooh, order. Depends on what your idea of excitement is. As such, she is the only Lord of Order with a physical form of her own without the need to take over another person's body or gift her power to someone in her place. Now, if the name Lords of Order sounds familiar to you despite not being a huge DC Comics nerd, that might be because the Lords of Order were also friends with Morpheus in Neil Gaiman's legendary run of Sandman. And since he mostly hung out with fellow gods and eternal beings, that gives you some perspective of the plane Amethyst is capable of operating that's interesting. Yep, never forget, Sandman is part of the DC Comics universe. See, I, I always forget. You say never forget. I always forget that Sandman is is 
is in there. They played it very low-key in the Neil Gaiman comic, but there are a few references here and there to tie it all together, mostly in the final arc. No spoilers for a 25-year-old comic at this point. Right, but still. Batman does show up for the final arc. But yes, there are several scenes where Sandman is hanging out with Lords of Order and Lords of Chaos, who are longtime canonical members of the DC mythology. Got it. Dr. Fate, who was a founding member of the Justice Society, is a member of the Lords of Order. It's a whole complicated thing. Right. So so she is bonded to Ascensions because she's one of these Lords of Order, only not a parasite. Yes. So the Lords of Order, by and large, are ageless gods. And in order to sort of act in the mortal world, they will either take over a human body or advise a human. But because she is the offspring of a Lord of Order and someone from Gemworld, she has all of the abilities and knowledge and, you know, gravitas of a Lord of Order while also having her own physical form, which had never happened before up until that point. So she does all the Lord of Order stuff. She goes to the Lord of Order meetings, she pays her Lord of Order dues, she participates in the Lord of Order bake sale, Mm -hmm. and that is where she generally, like, butts heads with people like John Constantine because he's very much a chaos magician and she's like, nah, we got to keep things on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. That said, in the current DC continuity, Amethyst is a member of the team Justice League Dark, which is the team that Batman and John Constantine are Justice League So Dark. she pals around with them. Because you couldn't make the DC universe any darker. We have to add extra dark. In, in this, the Zack Snyder era of DC, none more black. None more black. Well, now that I've given you a bit of a primer on yep. Amethyst, and I think we're both well versed in Usagi, yeah. let me ask you about your coven. Yes. So if you could only have one of these two ladies in your coven, either Usagi or Amethyst, which one would it be? Who would you have in your in your coven? I, I'm really like, I, I had never heard of Amethyst before you started telling me about her, and I think she seems pretty fascinating. You know, I love myself a warrior princess. She's got these gem powers. She's possibly a godlike figure. Like, all of that's super radical. But Usaki's a goofball Mm -hmm. and eats a lot and plays a lot of video games. And therefore... I believe she would be the most fun addition to my coven. And right now, that's what I'm all about. I'm all about the having a good time around the bonfire. See, there's so. there, you brought up exactly my thing, which is that Usagi would be my best friend. We'd be buddies. Usagi, we would, we would just read comics. We would play video games. We would have junk food. That's a dream. That's the dream right there. Like, I don't, I don't need <laughs> to practice magic at that time. point. Let's just have fun. Let's, let's discuss our Infinity War fan theories right. and stuff. Getting caught up on Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld is a little tricky right now because there were these two different runs of the comic and they are both out of print at this point. They had this short series of cartoons on Cartoon Network in 2013, which have, as far as I know, never been put out on DVD or available to download. That said, people have put the whole thing up on YouTube. It's seven episodes... They're like two minutes each. The whole thing is about a half hour. And okay. it's delightful. You, you can absolutely see the Sailor Moon influence in it. It's very, very Sailor wow. Moon in this cartoon. 
But that said, like the original Amethyst comic was from 1981, and the first Sailor Moon comic was from 1990. So it's it's actually hard to tell whether one influenced the, the Sailor other Moon or, yeah. had seen Amethyst at the time. I know the term and the subgenre of Magical Girl supposedly originated with Cutie Honey, which is also very hard to find because it's such a classic anime and nobody is streaming it. You have to buy bootleg DVDs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Cutie Honey had nearly as much of like the fantasy and stone elements in there which it seems weird that to me at least that amethyst and sailor moon have so much of that in common uh all of this to say and thanos and thanos all of this to say yes i would also choose usagi for my coven because i want to hang out with her that's all she, she would be my best friend because you would be buddies and also i want to see your gender swapped sailor mercury cosplay Right now. Oh, well, allow me to... Take out right, your so, transformation pen. Mercury uh, transformation magic. <laughs> you guys, I really wish you could there see you go. this. How's that? Wow. Mm-hmm. You like my tiara? Wow. It's a good look. That's it's good look. delightful. Where do you think I should take this look, this this fancy new outfit that I've got? Uh, I'm going to take it out on the town. I think you should take it right on down to the Cauldron Cabaret. Oh, that's a great place to show off. Yeah, there you go. All right, so so how do we think our ladies are going to fare in the Cauldron Cabaret? Where, where, what's Usagi doing? What's Amethyst doing? Where are they hanging out? Who are their friends? Well, Usagi is definitely having a, like, a baller time. Like, she loves to hang out, eat good food, have a good time, and not study. So she's, like, ready to bust a move at the cabaret. She's gonna... I mean, that's her character, right? She's bubbly and friendly and brings all these diverse personalities together. I think as soon as she hits the room, the atmosphere is going to go way up. It's going to be a good time. This is the scene I see playing out in my head. When Usagi steps in the room, whoever is maitre d' of the night will immediately escort her to the table that Matilda is sitting at. Uh And Usagi would be like, no, kid's table. I'm not having this. This is dumb. I'm not having a good time. And then after like 10 minutes, she's actually going to have a conversation with Matilda and be like, wow, Matilda's way, way smarter than me. But also she's cool. This is great you want to get some cake let's have some cake no i totally i totally see that happening for sure yeah and i think it also depends uh where in usagi's arc she's coming into the cabaret because like right i can see that right at the beginning of her arc i can see that interaction happening like definitely for sure but i feel like if she's further along she's got some battles under her belt she's met her past future self whatever I think that she probably would would have some fun relationships with all of our ex-ladies, mm-hmm. you know? I think that there's going to be cool things there just as far as, like, innate powers and transformation and that kind of thing. I think she's going to be instantly terrified of Madeline Pryor. Oh, Madeline yeah. Pryor- has a whole Queen Beryl look going on. Definitely. There's another point. Queen Beryl's in the house. Queen Beryl is in the house. So that's awkward. No, that's Mm, awkward. Separate them on the dance floor. But you know what? It's totally fine because who just walked up? It's uh, What's-Her-Face from Simply Irresistible. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character that we never remember the name of. Yeah, uh, (laughs) Chef Buffy. Chef Buffy. And she's like, hey, I got some great shoe pastry right here and Usagi's like I will see you all later I got a date with some show pastry mm-hmm. 
And then problem solved. Yes, Queen Beryl delicately picks up one shoe pastry with her very long fingernails and nibbles on it and is instantly taken in by a spell. And by the time she has taken two bites, Usagi has already eaten eight of them whole. She just shoved them into her mouth. Total chipmunk face. Absolutely. This is a good image. I like this. This is a fun scene that we've created Mm -hmm. here. What about Amethyst? Amethyst immediately is drawn to Zatanna, first and foremost, because the two of them can both be, isn't John Constantine a jerk? Isn't John Constantine a jerk? We're both DC ladies. Ladies, oh, look at all these Marvel folks hanging around. Yeah. We're just going to hang out and be grimdark together. But even there, like, you know, she's she's brightly colored. She's fantasy, but she's also violent. So, like, she will get along well with Scarlet Witch. She'll play nice with Korra. They both understand what it's like to be from a fantasy world with warring tribes based on geography and elemental magic. What about the gems? What about Ruby and Sapphire? Oh, of course she'll hang out with the crystal gems. Yeah, that's a good look. She'll be like, we're all... We all got gems. They'll be like, we also know an amethyst and she's delightful. Yeah. Instant connection. Yes. And and Princess Amethyst will ask them uh, if there's a turquoise and they will not know because at this point in the show, I don't think there is any turquoise, but who knows? There's, There's new episodes happening. There could be a turquoise any day now. Oh, oh, you know who would get along with Usagi so well? Akko from Little Witch Academia. Yes. Yes. I, I don't know if you've watched Little Witch Academia Which yet. But I haven't. I have it queued up. Akko, Akko is such a Usagi character because she also is like constantly running late for class, is in over her head, doesn't study, just wants to eat and have fun, but she wants to be very good at stuff and she is the chosen one but doesn't know what she's doing. She's, she's the one who ties her team of misfits together. Oh yeah, the two of them would get along. Great. Usagi and Akko all the way. Yeah, Amethyst... Like everyone else, we'll get along splendidly with Storm, because the two of them will both understand the regality of a place that you're not familiar with. Because Storm was revered as a queen, but not in a place where she necessarily grew up. And Amethyst is royalty of a place where she did not spend the bulk of her childhood. So they would absolutely have a lot of that going on. And there's a lot to cope with when you have that much baggage going on. There's somebody. It's good to have somebody to talk to about it. I just came up with the best cabaret burlesque act. Hit me. Bring it. Sailor Moon, Bayonetta, Transformation, Dance-Off. Love this so much. There is so much swirling, ribboned, hair, booty, side boob happening. In both instances, where did those high heels come from? Shoes. All of a sudden, shoes. How? Usagi was rocking some flats before, and now she's in high-heel, knee-high boots? Where did that come from? My goodness. Bandana's got guns in her high heels. How did that happen? You had lots of hair, and now you have a jumpsuit. What's going on? I very much now want Bandana to sort of, like, become a mentor to Usagi and be like, I see what you're doing. You're very good at it, considering how young you are. Uh Let me teach you how to be a boss. I love this. Let me teach you how to run this I love this. Like, the outfit goes from, like, ribbons and sailor. They got the ribbons going on. But then, like, all of a sudden, you saw he's got the hair. Guns. This cartoon became so <laughs> violent overnight. It used to be about love and prosperity, and now it's about guns. <laughs> well, she can still be a guardian of love and justice. She's just a guardian of love and justice and heavy weaponry. That's the sound it makes. In the name of Scarborough Fair, I will defeat you. <laughs> For those playing along at home, Scarborough Fair is the name of one of Bayonetta's sets of guns. Because, of course they are. Why not? 
All right, well, I think that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Witch. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the Elder Gods. Subscribe to Which Witch is Witch on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, your podcatcher of choice, wherever they may be. Until then, remember... In the English dub, she was Sailor Eurectum. What's it called when the the name of the person is also the name of the series? There's a there's a titular, titular? or eponymous. Eponymous. That's the one. I was not going to pull that up. And if she's cool, then she's a hippopotamus. <laughs> oh, no. It's a good thing this part is not that going in the episode. terrible. Yeah. Good thing you're editing that part out.